chapter number four, Ephesians chapter number four. We're going to be teaching the second series, the second sermon in our series called Relationship Goals. Relationship Goals. You know, I love, I absolutely love teaching on relationships in marriage. Now, I'm from Alabama, and in Alabama, this does not work with me talk and you listen. This works with I talk and you talk back to me, right? This is not a dialogue. This is not a monologue. This is a dialogue, all right? So I want you to hang in here with me. I believe that God's going to speak something profound to us this morning. This is, if I know anything, I know this. You know, hang on. Hope and let me, you know, we believe, we've been believing God for one service where there was no technical difficulties. And our faith hadn't made it yet. So we're believing God for one service where there are no technical difficulties. I just like to point it out and say, look, the video went out. The devil is a liar. We're still going to preach. Is that all right? All right. I, uh, if, if I know anything, I know that there are marriages all over, not all over America, all over the church that are hurting. There are husbands and wives that call themselves pastors and deacons and elders and apostles and prophets whose marriages are hurting, right? And we are going to talk about that. No church, a church is only as strong as the families that make it up. And I have been, believe me, I have been in churches and ministries where you have revival fire, where you shout and glorify God, where you blow the shofar and fall out in the spirit and marriages falling apart left and right because we have a tendency to believe, bring it to the altar and that fixes everything. But sometimes it's not bringing it to the altar that fixes everything. Sometimes it's us growing through the power of the word of God that's going to fix it. Amen and amen. I'll amen myself. Sometimes it's not something that we can throw at God and ask him to take care of it and pretend like it's not there anymore. Sometimes it takes us doing the hard work of looking in the mirror and saying, I need to grow and I need to change and I need to become the man or the woman that God has called me to be. I want this series to be a a mirror. I want it to be a glaring look in a mirror for you to look at yourself and say, you know what, that's not right. You know what, I've been doing this in my marriage and that's not right and I'm not gonna blame her and I'm not gonna blame the kids and I'm not gonna blame the job and I'm not gonna blame stress. I'm gonna look at myself and say, you are the one that needs to grow and needs to change. You hear what I'm saying? Now, when... Let, 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 let me read the text real quick. It's just one verse. Let me read the text real quick. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 31. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 31. Brandon, can you turn me up in the uh, monitors, brother? Thank you so much. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you With all malice, note those six items that Paul just listed. This is in the King James Bible. I'm not sure what yours says. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. Amen. That's all we're going to read. That's all we're going to read. We're going to stop right there. Now, I've been married for 13 years. My wife's here on the front row. And... We were young when we got married. I was 22, she was 18, because uh, I didn't believe in waiting around for nine years to ask a young lady to marry me. 
I don't understand single men today. All the single men in the room, I'm putting pressure on you. I tell young women, I tell them all the time, give them a year. If you hadn't proposed in a year, cut it off and move on. Make the brother step up to the plate and swing for the fence. I tell young men that, swing for the fence. If you get rejected, it's fine. Still swing for the fence. You only got to connect one time. Right? That's what I did. I swung for the fence. And thank God I bunted it, but I made it. I hit the ball, all right? And uh, we were young when we got married, and, and there's a lot of statistics to prove that sometimes people that get married younger actually have a better chance of staying married. Because when you get married younger, you're not set in your ways yet. You don't have any ways, all right? And we got married young. We were 22. I was 22. She was 18, and I thought I knew everything. You know, I had read books on marriage all my growing-up life, and I was just this preacher, this man of God. And I remember looking at her, telling her distinctly. I remember telling her, now look, woman. No. You don't talk to women in Alabama that way. Probably only Knoxville, Tennessee either. I said, listen, when we get married, I'm marrying you, you, you marrying me. I ain't marrying your family. You ain't marrying my family. That sounds right, but it's stupid. Because when you marry somebody, you marry everything they've been through. Let, let, me, let me say that again for the people in the back. When you marry somebody, you marry everything that they've been through. It was God. Watch, Adam did not even know that he was alone. Adam was so consumed in the will of God that God had to tell Adam that he was alone. And do you know what Adam did? He started looking through the animals for a spouse. And God said, I'm going to have to put you to sleep before you mess the whole thing up. Right? And some of you started looking. And instead of bringing a husband home, you brought a beast, an orangutan, right? Because <laughs> you don't know what you got till you get it home. You marry everything they've been through. So all marriage is really the collision of two planets, if you want to know what it's like, right? If you're in the honeymoon phase, if you're single, just take real good notes and refer to them when you get married because you'll need them, all right? And then when you get married, that's when you both begin the process of opening up your luggage, your emotional baggage, and begin to process through stuff the entire time. Because you never talk about that stuff when you date. Because most of dating is you paying attention to stuff that don't matter. What's your favorite color? What's your favorite movie? And then you're dumb enough to say things like, I know him. I know her. And then when you get married, all this junk starts falling out of the trunk. Junk in the trunk. We've all got some junk. Don't act holy on me this morning. I ain't got the time for it. We all got some junk in the trunk, right? So you marry everything that person has been through. Everything they have been through has created the filter that you're going to have to spend your life trying to work around and trying to figure out, and trying to speak into. Now, I, 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 hate to I hate to break your heart this morning, but everybody in here, all of us, myself included, we all really hear what we want to hear. Right. Now, I know you are incredibly objective, 
and have the ability to detach from the situation and think with a level head at all times. The devil is a liar. We all have a filter that we hear through. Can I get y'all with me this morning? Because what I want to talk about this morning is I want to talk about destructive communication. Destructive communication. We have counseled hundreds of married couples. Hundreds. Only a fraction of them have problems in their marriage because of infidelity. That's a real issue. Whole different kind of issue. Only a fraction of them have issues in their marriage because of abuse. The vast majority, I would say 90% of the people that we have ministered to and we have counseled them in their marriage, 90% or more, their issues stem from destructive communication. They don't know how to talk to each other. They don't know how to connect. It was so easy when you were dating. Because when you were dating, you just lied to each other. And now you ain't got time to lie. Now you're mad. Right? Your Bible says that God created the world through his words. He created the world by the things that he said. You are creating the atmosphere, the climate in your home based upon whether or not you use positive or destructive words. The atmosphere of your home has nothing to do with how much money you make. I have talked to millionaires whose wife didn't even want to sleep in the same room with them. And then I've talked to people that could barely afford to pay attention but had a beautiful marriage because they knew it is not our money. It's not what we have or don't have that shifts the climate of the home. And sometimes that's good to hear as a parent. It takes the pressure off of you to think that in order for me to have a powerful home, I have to be able to provide all of this stuff. Your kids don't want you to provide just stuff. They want you to provide an example of what it looks like to have a godly marriage. That would mean way more to them than them getting the latest iPhone or the best car. I got to take this jacket off. Y'all with me? I need an armor bear. You know, as parents... Parents, it's, in, it's interesting. Every parent that I know, we all have a passion to, to create an environment where our kids had better than we had. Am I right? Are y'all, y'all here? We all have this passion to create an environment better than what we had growing up, right? We've all got the stories, right? Walk to school both ways uphill in the snow. And I think that's a noble cause. I think that's a noble, heartfelt reality that we all want to provide a space for our kids. They want, we want them to have better than we had, right? Trust me, I know what it was like to always get the Jordans that were like four years old, right? Okay. We're on Jordan 20s, and I was, you know, wearing Jordan 11s because that's, that's how we rolled, okay? And I'm still a little bit emotionally scarred from that, a little traumatic, and I don't like talking about it in front of a bunch of people, but here we are. 
We all want to provide for our kids better than what we have. However, what I'm afraid is happening to parents is we're creating an environment that is so comfortable that we have forgotten that that is what made this. That Those experiences are what turned you into who you are. That's where you learned your lessons. That's where you learned to be grateful. That's where you learned to work hard. That's where you learned to be thankful. That's where you learned to respect people in authority. So I appreciate the notion that we want to create a good environment for our kids, but sometimes we are causing them to miss the lessons that are so vital for us to learn. And I don't know if you know this or not, they're not going to listen to your sermons. Sometimes when life slaps the taste out of your mouth, that's the best teacher you can have, right? And if I've seen anything in this generation, it's this. They underestimate life, okay? And so the words we create, the words, the, the, you, you, it takes the pressure off of parents to think my job is to buy, 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 accumulate, 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 accumulate. Let them buy the, I, I'm not going to raise kids that are in this competition at school to see who's wearing Abercrombie and who's wearing Hollister and who's wearing this brand and who's driving this and who's driving that. My number one goal is I want to raise kids that ain't jerks. That's success to me. And the challenge, I think I said this last week, the challenging part about kids is you don't get your report card till they're grown. You don't know how good you're doing until they're 30. Am I right? So it takes pressure off these kids. It would, it, would do more, it would do more in your home instead of taking them out and buying them the nicest thing and all of these extravagant vacations. A lot of times we do that stuff because we think it is compensating for all of the other areas where we are failing in our words. You hear what I'm saying? Your positive words create a healthy world inside your home. The climate in your home is absolutely based upon what you say and how you say it. How you say it. Because kids are a blank slate that you write on every day. Right? I remember, you know, I, I told you last week, my... Uh, my mother was married multiple times, had multiple stepfathers. None of them served God. I, I wish I had that testimony that I come from a long line of preachers. I don't. I'm it. I'm it. All right. And if my son don't preach, I guess I'll stay it. Okay. My wife came from a broken home and uh, divorced, a uh, horrible situation. Mom's divorced. Mom's a woman of God. And it was interesting when we first got married because I come from one of those homes that you say what you mean, you talk plain. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? We call it heated fellowship. Right? There's some volume to it. Right? We'll look at each other and say, shut up! You want to go eat? And nobody's feelings are hurt. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Nobody's like, oh my God, he just talked to me that way. Here's the good part about growing up in an environment. Like, there's a lot that was wrong, and you don't need to tell anybody shut up, all right? But there's a lot growing up in that kind of, there's a lot good growing up in that kind of environment. At least you knew what everybody thought. You never had to wonder. And there was no gossiping behind the back. If I got a problem with you, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell you in front of everybody else. She grew up in a completely different environment. She grew up in one of those very, it was her and her sister and her mom. So it was one of those very soft, gentle, happy Disneyland environments, right? Where if there was an issue that potentially needed to be addressed, 
you went around the door, under the hill, over the gate, and through the side. Lest someone get their feelings hurt. Okay. I come from, shut up, you want to go eat. She comes from, you know, just something for you to think about. Again, I could be wrong. Now put 22 years of age and 18 years of age on top of that. We get married. So the first year, she's like, you're a jerk. And I'm like, you're too sensitive. Because we both had our filters that we talked through. Watch, people learn, people learn destructive communication one of three ways. Let me show you these one of three ways. The number one way, I, I just jotted these down real quick. The number one way people learn destructive communication is real simple. They learned it from their parents. It is horrible that most of us learned about marriage and life by observing from our parents what not to do. Right? I used to make mental notes with my stepfather. Okay, I know I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to do that. You have to learn these lessons. You got to learn them however you got to learn them, but you got to learn these lessons in contrast. A lot of times we learn it from our parents. And we think, we think that their mannerisms and their characteristics are not in there. Right? You want to see a woman get mad? Tell her she's like her mama. You'll get body slammed and stabbed in the throat in your sleep. She'll say, who am I like now? I remember when we got married, I remember saying to myself, there, there's a list of things I'm not going to do. And out of nowhere, guess what I found myself doing? Coming out. Coming out. Coming out. Second way people learn destructive communication is they learn it through hurt. They learn it through hurt. I told you this last week. I want to reiterate this. The divorce rate among first-time marriages is 50-plus percent. The divorce rate for second-time marriages is in the 60s. Third marriages, you get up into the 70s. Fourth time marriages, we're up around 80, 81%. Which means you would think the more we did it, the better we'd get. But what happens is when you leave your first marriage into your second marriage and you're taking the pain from the first one, not only are you mad at Johnny, you're still mad at Fred. And the moment you get a whiff of Johnny acting like Fred, guess what you're going to do? You're going to tell Johnny and Fred, I ain't putting up with it anymore. I have seen people filled with destructive communication, still upset and hurt over people that are dead. Mom been dead 10 years. And you still mad. You still hurt. You still can't let it go. You have to determine, is it going to be a life lesson or is it going to be a life sentence? Watch this. Well, let, let, me, let me say this about hurt. I'm going I'm, I'm to get to the text here in a minute. Are y'all with me? Forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. Y'all like, that's good because I ain't never going to forget. I ain't never going to forget. It's not the same thing as forgetting. Forgiveness is not pretending like it never happened. That's impossible. Not only is it impossible, it's unhealthy. That's not called forgiveness. That's called denial. Okay? Forgiveness is not pretending like it never happened. Forgiveness is choosing not to remember it anymore. 
when God forgave your sins, God did not forget them. God does not have the ability to forget. If you forget something, that means you had a mental lapse, a memory lapse. God doesn't have those. Your Bible does not say that he forgot your sins. Your Bible says that he chose to remember them no more. That means he could bring it up time and time and time again and then chooses not to. If you want to walk in forgiveness, you can't block it out as though it never happened. You have to look at it in the eye and say, I was done wrong and I choose to never hold this against you for the the rest of your life because if you let that hurt burn in your heart if you let that hurt burn in your heart they can be dead and gone they can have remarried and had other kids and you ain't talked to them in 20 years and still mad still hurt y'all looking at me funny this happens every day every day third reason people learn destructive communication is we're just ignorant. I don't mean stupid. I mean we're ignorant. You know, your Bible says, well, husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. In other words, if you want to be able to connect with her, you have to know her. Now, it might take divine revelation. All right, but you have to know her. You have to know. You know when we were when you were dating. When we were dating, we're all very careful with our words. We're very measured in what we say because we're trying to get them to sign on the dotted line. Right, and the moment they sign on the dotted line, we end up saying things to our spouses we would never say to a good friend because we are in fear that it would jeopardize the friendship. But we know you married me. You got to come home. You ain't got no choice. So I'll talk to you any kind of way because I'm immature and I'm just fleshing out. And here you go. <laughs> it's true. Part of maturity is when you, learn, when you learn this beautiful lesson. Not everything you think needs to be said. <laughs> right? You have to file through. Nope. Nope. I love you. You're awesome. Nope. No. So we learned three because we don't know each other. Because when you were dating, you were a student. And now that you're married, the, 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 the journey of exploration is no longer fun or exciting. You got kids now. You got a mortgage payment now. Your mom and your dad are aging now, and you got to put up with that. And then you got to put up with this. And then you got to put up with drama over here, and you got to put up with work, and you got to put up with all these stresses and pressures of life. And a lot of people did not realize that when you got married, it's going to change your life. Single people don't get that yet. They think they're going to get married but still be able to act single. Your Bible says that if you remain single, you get to care for the things of the Lord. But when you get married, you have to care for the things of the world. How you may please your husband. You can't even have a goldfish and not feed it. You think you're going to be able to have a marriage and not feed it? And a lot of times what happens in our marriage is because we are, we are totally unintentional about the climate that we create. I, 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 this question right here, this question plagues me and drives me every single day 
what are my kids going to say that growing up in my house was like? If I could go back 30, if I could go in the future 30 years from now and somebody were to ask my son or my daughters, what was it like growing up in Pastor Casey's house? What are they going to say? Because I have the ability now to write what they're going to say. Right? And a lot of times we approach marriage in our, in our home completely unintentional. And if there's problems, we're just going to give it to Jesus. And Jesus is going to give it right back to you. And say, this is not an issue for me to fix. This is an area for you to grow. This is an area for you to be transformed. This is an area for you to be challenged and changed. Are y'all with me this morning? All right, let's, let's, okay, all right, let me get to the text. Let me get to the text. Paul says this. Let all bitterness wrath and anger clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice bitterness wrath anger clamor evil speaking malice he's not listing paul is teaching us he's teaching us about destructive communication watch he's not listing six different components he's listing two sets of three let all bitterness Wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. That makes sense to you? That makes sense to you? Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. He is talking about three conditions of the heart. Then he is talking about three ways in which you speak. Bitterness drives clamor. Clamor means the raising of the voice. When you notice the volume in the conversation inside the home beginning to increase, it is a clue to you that what you are about to say could perhaps be being driven by bitterness. Put away bitterness. What comes with bitterness? Clamor. Raising the voice. Raising the voice. I'm going to get my point across. And bless God, if ain't nobody going to listen, I'm going to shout even louder. Because I'm the enforcer in the home. I see men all the time walk around with that attitude. I'm the man in my house. Good God. We walk around here. I'm the man. I pay for this. I work all day. I'm the man in my house. Good. That means you are the servant of all. That means you outserve everybody in your house. Did you think being the leader meant you got to pick all the restaurants where you and your family got to eat? No, 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 no. Being the leader means you get to outserve everybody in the home. We get so frustrated sometimes over what our marriages are giving us and we are expecting to reap a seed that we have not sown. We want love and compassion and passion and intimacy and camaraderie to come back at us when we've never sown those seeds. And then when we don't get what we want, guess what we do? We raise the voice, bless God. When the volume begins to be raised, it is a clue that you're being, being driven by bitterness. And then he takes it a step further. After bitterness and clamor, we step into wrath and evil speaking. Now, once we've graduated from raising the voice, now we've stepped into evil speaking. Now, not only am I raising the voice, now I'm going to attack. Just like your mama. Lazy like your daddy. No, 
don't know why I married you. Do it again and I'm leaving this house. Threatening to leave. Had enough. You're a fool. You don't serve God. Don't pray like I, I see women condemning their husbands because of the way they pray. Men and women pray different. If you didn't know that. When women pray, they tell God how they feel. When men pray, it goes something like this. Lord, I need $300 by next week. Right? And he's serving God. I think I told you all this story last week. We had somebody come up one time to, at, our, at our old church that we were at, and they were wanting us to pray for him. said, what do you need prayer for? My marriage. My marriage. I said, what's going on in your marriage? He said, my, son, my, my husband, he don't have a servant spirit. I don't even know what that is. Don't have a service. No, maybe you have given him a reputation that now he's living up to it. You've told him for so long how sorry he is and how lazy he is. Guess what he's doing? He's fulfilling your prophecy that you spoke over him. If you want your husband or your wife to be something other than what they are, if there's some areas they need to grow, why don't you start speaking into who you want them to be, not who you think they are? Your Bible says that Sarah called Abraham Lord. You don't need to call him Lord, but you do need to call him who you want him to become. You do need to call Hallelujah. You do need to call her who you want you to who you want her to become. That's what Jesus did for you and me. When he got ready to change us, he did not condemn or criticize us. I talked to this psychologist one time. This is, this is a funny story. I talked to this psychologist one time. He was uh, counseling this married couple. Destructive communication. All right. And uh, he's counseling this married couple, and this, th- his wife had had four children. Four kids. All right. And I'm saying this tactfully. I really am. She, uh, her body had not went back to what it was prior to her having his four kids. You get what I'm saying? Okay. Now, he was more overweight than she was, but he didn't, he was not able to see that. Okay, so this is what he did. This is what he did. For Christmas, he bought her a treadmill. Oh, dang. Y'all like, oh, no. No, he didn't. He would, this true story, he would cut out pictures out of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition of those models, and he would tape them to the front of the treadmill. In his mind... How many of y'all already shot him? How many of y'all that already been that already been an assault charge on your record? That's right. That's right. That's right. Y'all like, I ain't gonna be no assault charge. Premeditated first degree murder. Pure manslaughter. I am guilty. His thought was he taped it on the front of the treadmill because his thought was as she's walking on the treadmill, maybe that would serve as some motivation. To her. When she would eat, he would make animal noises. True story. Single men, single men in the room. If you never hear anything else I have to say, hear me now. Don't ever. If you love life and want to see more of it, Don't ever. 
he would be washing the dishes and he would need something that was in the drawer right beside him. So he would call his wife from across the house to come and she would come and say, what do you need? He said, I need something out of that drawer. She said, well, it's right there in that drawer. He said, I know, but I thought maybe if you walked across the house, maybe you could burn a calorie or two. Okay. And he was in counseling. Y'all are getting mad now. Y'all don't even know him. Y'all don't even know him. They, and guess where they ended up? The counselor's office. Who saw that coming? They're in the counselor's office. And his, his theory was, maybe if I make her feel so bad about what she looks like, that that will flip a switch and will motivate her to change. Maybe if I criticize her into absolute oblivion, maybe by some miraculous happenstance, a switch will flip and she'll start getting it on the treadmill. You cannot criticize people into change. You cannot condemn them enough into change. And when Jesus got ready to change you, he did not do it by telling you how filthy and perverted and nasty and messed up you are. When Jesus got ready to change you, he told you how much he loved you, how much purpose he had for you, how much he wanted to use you. That's the way it works. Clamor, bitterness with clamor, evil speaking, Evil speaking with wrath. Let me say this about bitterness too. Love, love demands, your Bible says, that you hold no account of the evil done to you. If I got to sit down with some of you, you could recount for me in minute detail. You could tell me what they were wearing when they said it. You can tell me what it smelled like. You can tell me precisely every minute detail of what happened 15 years ago and you are still burning on the inside now just like you did 15 years ago when it first happened and then have the nerve to say something like, oh, I forgive them. That's how to We say, oh, I forgive them. I forgive them. Praying they get hit by a bus, but I forgive them. And you have this laundry list of egregious offenses. And you take that and you hold that in every day. Your Bible says that anger rests in the bosom of fools. He said you take that in and you hold that in every single day, every single day. That's why when you try to talk to them, boom, explosion. That's why when there's hidden bitterness and hidden resentment in, an, in, in a marriage, that's why a husband can say, honey, this chili's not my favorite. You wish you would have married the other girl, don't you? Honey, I don't really like this chili. It's not really my thing. It's a little too spicy. You think I'm ugly and fat. And husband, at that, we're so overwhelmed at that point. We're like. I, I love you. See how these filters work. Talk to, saw this a couple one time. They were going through marriage counseling, and the marriage counselor gave them this, he gave them this, um, this assignment. He said, this is what I want you to do every day. I want you both to get a journal. I want you both get, to get a journal. And I want you to journal out every thought that you have during the day about each other. About each other. So they left the counselor's office. 
and the husband's driving, and he's, he's quiet. He's quiet as he's driving. Because if you don't know that about men, we could, two men could get in a car, drive from here to New York, never speak a word to each other. It would be wonderful. It would be a wonderful trip. He said, this, journal every thought that you have. Every thought you have, what's going on, we'll come back later. and We'll, we'll see if we can connect on some things. So, husband, they drive home. He's quiet. He's thinking. When they get home, they go in their separate rooms and they're journaling their thoughts. And the wife, this is what she journaled. He sure was quiet on the way home. I wonder what's going on. I wonder what's on his mind. I wonder what he's not telling me. Oh God, there's something he's not telling me. What is this secret that's eating him alive that he hasn't shared yet? What if, OMG, it's another woman? I can't live. If there's another woman, I can't have a relationship with this man. If there's another woman, what are our kids going to do? What are our kids going to think? Little Johnny's going to grow up in a broken home. He's going to turn to a life of crime. So she's journaling. She's freaking out. He went and he journaled. They brought him back to the counselor next week. They read her journal. Oh, my God, he's got another woman in his life. They read his journal. It was one sentence. Couldn't get the boat to start. Don't know what's wrong. That's the, that's the filter we create when all this bitterness is built up. And then you, then you touch something. Then you touch one thing. Honey, I don't like the chili. You hate everything we stand for. This ain't about the chili. <laughs> right? Bitterness with clamor. Wrath with evil speaking. Then anger with malice. Malice is when you reach the point that you say to yourself, I'm going to teach you never to cross me again. I'm going to so pulverize you with what I'm about to say that I'm going to teach you to never cross me again. This isn't, this isn't little passive-aggressive behavior. This is I'm trying my best to rip your heart out and stomp on it. How do people get there? They get there by clamor. Raising the volume. Getting a little heated. If you can't maintain control of your emotions, you have no business being married. You have no business. You for sure ain't got no business having kids. Right? You know you're mad as a parent. When you're so mad, the voice gets real low. Not real high. Real low. Where you say, Listen to me. If you do that again, I'm going to kill you. This is that, this is that passive aggressive stuff. You know, passive aggressive, that's a word we always hear thrown around. Hey, passive aggressive. Let me tell you what passive aggressive is. That means you know something she does not like, and you purposely do it anyway. You know she don't like eat, you eating chips in the bed. So you eating chips in the bed and dropping the crumbs on her side. Oh, so get sick in there. 
Or it's when you know she does like something that you do and you purposefully don't do it. That's passive aggressive. That's not what I'm talking about. Clamor. Clamor. Evil speaking. Malice. Malice. Two years ago, you stood in front of a preacher and said you loved each other. And now you are doing your dead level best to tear each other apart. How did it get there? It got there because you never learned how to break the cycle of destructive communication. The moment you start feeling the volume go up, you got to catch yourself. Say, no, 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 no. This ain't how we roll. This is not the legacy that we're going to leave for our children. Kids ain't going to quit fighting in front of your kids. Seeing parents, I'm talking about, I've talked to parents in church throwing stuff in front of the kids. Telling the daughter what to say to the daddy. Telling the daughter all the stuff wrong with daddy. And those kids don't have the moral authority to stand up and say anything. You know what they would say if they could? They would stand up, look both mom and dad in the eye, and they'd say, would you people please shut up? It's true. When we fight in front of them, it changes who they are. Affects them. When you feel the volume go, you gotta catch that. You gotta be man of God enough, woman of God enough to catch that and say, no, 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 no. If you wanna act that way, if you wanna act a fool, you act a fool. But I'm not going there because I'm a redeemer. Remember that? Bitterness, clamor, wrath, evil speaking, anger, malice, malice. Watch. I'm, I'm almost done. Y'all with me? Can I give you two more points? Two quick points, two quick points. You get to the point of anger. I don't mean ticked, I don't mean annoyed. I mean angry. Angry. People that are angry. I always put, I always, I always take that, that anger, I push it out of the way, and I try to see what's behind it. And behind all anger is usually one of three things. Number one, it's usually hurt. Or it's fear because you don't have full control, so now you're fearful, so now you're acting out. Or number three, it's usually frustration. This is how frustration happens. It means you had an expectation, and that expectation's been violated. Now you're frustrated. You know how many people get married because they believe their spouse is the answer to healing all of their issues? And so they want them to play Messiah. They want them to play a role they were never designed to play. And so now they're putting an undue pressure on the relationship because he or she was never meant to be your healer. Only he is your healer. And as long as you look to them to fix all of that stuff going on on the inside of you, they will never be enough. And you will forever be frustrated because they're not meeting the expectation that you had. All right? Now, I'm going to say this, I'll be done. Whenever men and women communicate whenever they talk whenever they talk and, and I, I believe in marriage there's there's some there's some feistiness that's good you know just that that it can cross a line but there's just some of that feistiness that's good 
Maybe it's just in our house, but that's some of that feistiness that's good. Emily Ty, why ain't you saying amen? I know you got some heat. You got some fire in the bones. Taylor, where you at? You got some fire in the bones. Some of that feistiness is good. I'll walk through the house jokingly and say, woman, fix me a drink. She'll say, that drink will sit there and rot before I fix it. You talk to me that way. Just, you're just joking. Just, you're just playing around. But a man's number one need, listen, a man's number one need is this, respect. Okay? It's not sex. It's, that's close second. <laughs> but a man's number one need is respect. He has to feel honored. He has to feel honored. So when a woman speaks to a man, number one, don't speak to a man like you're another man. Doesn't go good. Okay? Whatever you have to say, you can say, but you have to encrypt your message. It has to be laced with this attitude that says, I love you and I honor you and I respect your leadership in our home. Whatever you're going to say, you have a right to say what you need to say, but it has to be laced with the attitude that says, you're the leader in this home and I love you and I honor you. I honor you. Right? That's why your Bible, and I know people don't like this, that's why the Bible talks about having a meek and quiet spirit. It doesn't mean being subservient. You are not beneath him. You are equal to him. But it, it is the opposite of harsh and loud. It is, it is encapsulating your message in a package that says, no matter what, I love you and I honor you and we're doing this together. Now, if you don't take the trash out, okay, I'm still going to love you and honor you and respect you. But that new piece of lingerie that you bought me, you're not going to see that till you're 90 if you don't take the trash out, okay? You got to love, you got to couch it in love and honor and respect. Men, when you speak to a woman, her number one, her number one need is she needs to feel loved and secure in the relationship. She needs to know no matter what, you're going to love her, you're going to protect her, you're there with her, you're going to take care of her. It's you and her against the world. So you say whatever you're going to say, but before you say it, you have to encrypt that message with an attitude that says, I'll do anything for you. I'll do anything for you. Oh, that, that's, that's, that's good. You have to say it to her with this, with this attitude. I'll do anything for you. I love you. I'd lay down my life for you. you <laughs> that was my wife, by the way. I'll do anything for you. I'll do anything for you. And when we, when we talk, when we communicate, even if, it's, even if it's not fun, the relationship is never on the table. Me and you are in this together, come hell or high water. If everything else falls apart around us, me and you are going to be found there standing in the midst of the rubble holding hands because it is me and it is you together forever. So men, you encapsulate that message. I'll, I'll do anything for you. I'll, I'll give my life for you. What do you need? You, women, you encapsulate your message. I love you and I honor you and I respect you as the leader of our home. Do you know what that would do? to shift the climate in our families? A paycheck can't fix 
destructive communication. A new car? You see NBA players cheat on their wives and they respond by buying them an 18 karat diamond. That might be nice, but it don't fix it. But if you have this love and mutual love and honor in the home, you don't have to have the 18 karat diamond. Because I got you. And you are worth more, you are forth far above rubies. Isn't that wonderful? Marriage is the most, it's the most challenging thing in the world. It's the most amazing thing in the world. There, nothing in your life is right if the marriage is wrong. Nothing feels right. You can get promoted at work, but you can't celebrate it. Right? You can get recognized for all your achievements. You can get a raise, but it still don't feel right. But when the marriage is right, you can be eating ramen noodles over candles. Come on, somebody. You need ramen noodles over candles. And as long as I've got you, as long as it's me and you against the world, we're good. We're not going to let communication destroy our marriages. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and died for it. Stand up on your feet. <laughs> oh, man. I love, I love teaching on marriage. I, I, I love people. I love, I love, as a pastor, just watching families bloom and, and grow and, 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 and old hurts get healed and, and people come together closer than they've ever been. Husbands loving their wives, wives loving their husbands. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. But if I can leave you with anything, if I can leave you with anything, singles, you already got the one point I left with you, right? Don't buy her a treadmill. For the husbands, let me, let me say this, and I might teach on this later on some, some other point, but in your home, you can go ahead and begin to play well. In your home, you've got to have a place to complain. You have to have an open space to vent your feelings and not pay a price for it. The key is it can never become about them. The key is it can never be an attack. That's not complaining. That's character assassination. You got to have that place where you say, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of this right here. Let's talk. But no matter what you say, men, no matter what you say, because if men bottle all that stuff up, bad things happen. It ends up coming out in unbelievable ways later on. Because an issue talked about now is a thousand times easier to talk about than an issue talked about 10 years from now. So no matter what you say, it has to be laced with this. This is the whole point I wanted you to get. It's got to be laced with this. I'll do anything for you. I love you. Lay down my life for you. Now let's, let's, let's deal with this together. You're not the opponent. And this is going to come to a shock to you, but listen to me. God is not offended at your spouse. God's not going to take an offense at your spouse. I know what half of our prayer is, is trying to get God to get mad at them too. He's not going to take an offense against them. He loves them. He wants them to walk in the fullness of his purpose. 
Wives, when you speak to your husbands, you got to say what you got to say. You got you to you have that. And listen, men, sometimes women, obviously you know this, they don't need answers. They have this pressure release valve that needs pushed every once in a while. And no matter what they say, just look at them and say, that sounds really hard. <laughs> that's your line. That's your line. I just, I just helped you right there. That sounds, that's not, man, that's, you went to get your, you went to get your nails done and your favorite nail tech was not there. That, wow, that's, does that mean, is there anything I could do? I mean, I could give it a shot. I'm not the, I can't even color very straight, but that sounds really hard. Say it with me, man. That's, that sounds really Y'all ain't got it yet. That sounds really, you got to settle with a little bit more empathy than that. Y'all, see, y'all already blown it. Hard. That sounds hard. What was that, Pastor Casey? That, that sounds hard. (laughs) Women, when you speak to the man, you got to lace it with, I love you and I honor you. I respect you as the leader of this home. Let's break the cycle of destructive communication. Amen. Let's break the cycle of destructive communication. I love you. I honor you. Lift your hands. Father, we love you today. We love you today. We thank you. We bless you. I thank you. so, Lord, I, I, I give you glory for all of the beautiful, beautiful marriages in this room. Newlyweds. All the way up to people with grandkids and even great-grandkids. Thank you for the incredible, beautiful marriages in this room. Thank you for the marriages that are going to happen in this room. Thank you for the singles in this room that are that are in their training years, that are in their learning and growing years and getting prepared for the man or the one you want to send them. Thank you so much. Father, I declare right now for peace to pervade every home. Peace to pervade every home. That destructive communication is driven out. That the stuff we learned from our parents that is unhealthy and not right, we declare that it's broken in Jesus' name. That is not who you are, and that is not the legacy you're passing on in Jesus' name. Let peace pervade every home. Let peace pervade every home. Let powerful, loving, honoring, God-honoring communication fill our speech. Let it be seasoned with grace and with love and with mutual honor and mutual respect. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Give Jesus a shout. Hallelujah. I don't know. I uh, I hope that helped you. This is what we're going to do. Ryan, I'm going to have you come. Emily, would you come? Uh, Rachel, would you come? She's a twin, and I can never figure out which one's which. If you Listen, if there are people in here, Hang on just a second. Let's bring that down. Just touch for me, brother. If there are people in here this morning, I know there's a lot of first-time guests. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the answer to everything going right in your life starts with Him. Nothing will be right. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how big your house is. I don't care what neighborhood you live in. I don't care if you live in Farragut or East Knoxville. I don't care. Nothing in your life will be right if that's not right. If that's not right. 
If you don't know Jesus Christ, this is what we're going to do. We've got some people down here. They would be honored to pray for you. Nothing weird, nothing crazy, nothing creepy, nothing strange. We just want to pray for you and you get your life right with Jesus. It's the beginning of the rest of your life. Or if you're a marriage in here this morning and you need some special prayer. We have two people up here that are married. One that's believing God in Jesus' name. If you, if you need prayer for your marriage, pray for your kids, pray for your home. Let's shift the climate in our homes. Can we do that? Come on, I feel this. I'm trying to get this. Can we shift the climate in our homes? Jesus' name. We've got some people that will pray for you. As we dismiss, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pray for you and release you. And as you go out, if you need prayer, they're up here. They would love to pray for you. Also, don't forget to stop by Guest Central. If you're attending Step 4 today, stop by Guest Central. We'll take care of all that. But if you want prayer for anything, we've got some people down here. After I pray, you're dismissed and free to go. Father, thank you today. Thank you. Bless every home in this place. Bless every husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Bless him to dwell with her according to knowledge. Teach him, teach him how to love her right. Teach him how to love her right. God, you are the you are the ultimate husband. You are the ultimate father. You are the ultimate teacher. God, teach, teach us as men, teach us to love our husbands right to love our wives right. Women, God, touch these women, touch these wives, teach them to love and honor their husbands in a way that blesses you, that honors you, that brings glory to the kingdom of God. Bless everyone. In Jesus' name, Father, we thank you. Amen. Hope unlimited.